Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Nigel Baker. Hello, Hello. Hello everyone. So, Nigel is our final prestigious pints guest. I'll say of the year, may well be the final one ever. Who knows? Who knows? But it was a, a good way to round off the series. We are in Bournemouth for our Christmas due at a pub called 60 Million Postcards. We won't do a panoramic view, just just trust us, there are a lot of postcards. You can just about see it behind Nigel's head, there are a lot of postcards up on the wall. And Paul is drinking a Sanford... Sanford Orchard's Devon Red, made just around the corner from my parents' house back home. Which tastes like... Apples. Uh, Nigel is drinking... Some drink involving cider and rhubarb. Cider and rhubarb. That and tastes I'm... like... Rhubarb. <laughs> Uh, and I'm drinking a pint of Dennis Hoppy, which is an IPA, a guest guest ale, which tastes like. I was pausing there in case you wanted to insert a film reference because I don't know what film Dennis, Dennis Hopper Hopper was in. Dennis Hopper was in uh, we, Speed. He, 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 he was Easy Rider. He was in Speed at the End. He was in uh, Waterworld. He yes. was in Apocalypse Now. Good actor. Uh, he did. He, um, so it's yeah. easy and watery, and if I drink enough of it, we would have an apocalypse. <laughs> but there we go. So Nigel nice talks us through his history and his inspirations and every, everything else. Great storyteller. Here's to Nigel Baker. Cheers, everyone. Here's to me. Yay. Play the jingle. Cheers. Hello. Cheers, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Ho, ho, and indeed ho. Welcome back for, yeah. another, for another instalment. The final instalment for this, for this year. Maybe ever, who knows? Who knows? Of our prestigious pint series. And we thought it only right to, uh, to roll out the bear for the final prestigious pint. You can't have a prestigious pint series without the prestigious Nigel Baker. Some would say you leave the best or last, yeah. or some will say that you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, one of the two, I'm not sure which one. We'll let them decide. Yeah. On, a ser- on a partly serious note... Mm-hmm. Partly serious. Partly serious. <laughs> you have, in a, in a roundabout way, you have inspired Jeff and I in, this, in our careers at some, at some point in time. You still, you still do. So you, you, you are well-deserved entry in the prestigious pipe series i'm looking him in the eyes to see <laughs> if serious well, thank you very much that's very nice of you cheers um, mate nice to see you and you jeff yeah so we we've spoken to a lot of people and the general theme although it hasn't been formulaic has been you know what's changed because you've been been a scrum trainer since 2007 yeah yeah seven. And i know yeah. you know we were doing we were doing scrum way before that so you've yeah. been around a long time still look beautifully young um but you've seen a lot of changes and you've been more involved and you've seen those things a lot more than I have. So I generally rely on you keeping me up to date on what's <laughs> yeah. going on in basically, the world. Basically, I have to give both of you executive summaries yeah. yes. of the politics of Agile yeah. all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah, exactly. yeah. That's, that's you should right. write a book. I would. About I'll... the history of and then Agile. I'll, then I'll probably get sued. <laughs> um, By the time what? you finish it, they'll all be dead. So. Um, all I will say is uh, there's... Um, there's a film, first film reference that Jeff hasn't seen. Yeah. Um, Who Shot Liberty Valance? Never even heard. Very of it. famous western by John Ford, starring James Stewart, John Wayne, Lee Marvin. Yeah. Um, famously, uh, there was a story that 
Jimmy Stewart. Uh, he is the hero. He's the protagonist. Like as a young man, he shot the cowboy outlaw Liberty Valance, and he became a senator and maybe did become vice president. Of course, the truth was John Wayne shot Liberty Valance. Spoiler alert! Sorry, everyone. Seventy years later. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Stewart just thought he had okay. right? but there's a line at the end of the film where the newspaper men discover this and they say look when you've got the truth and you've got the legend you print the legend right? <laughs> and they sort of forget that Jimmy Stewart didn't do this and sometimes I feel there has been and recently in the last few years a heavy mythologising of those early agile years yeah. that sounds good in stories but I'm not sure totally reflects the truth of real people doing real things How much of history does reflect what actually happened? It's the victors that write the yeah. history isn't it? And also it's, um, I think history is very much built around heroes and villains and not humans I was listening to a podcast about that on the bus on the way here Oh fantastic, what was that called? Uh, it was like a, it's not a, an actual podcast actually. It was it was um, an audio excerpt from something like The Guardian or something. Yeah. So uh, it was just about the the how in the Western world our storytelling tropes have always been about a moral moral battery between moral battle between good and evil, yeah. and how that's very rarely the case. Yeah, most battles aren't about one side yeah. battling against someone's values that they would never stoop to. They would both do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's lots of people who think that they're heroes involved in conversations. And we see that right up to the modern day of agility, which is a want to villainise and put into a hero spot people that shouldn't be doing that. Except, of course, me. I think everyone should put me in the hero spot. (laughs) Um, I I often worry that I am the Jar Jar Binks of the agile world, and I would rather not to be that one, you know. Slightly annoying cartoon character. Um, and I feel in Zoom especially I've become even more of a caricature of myself than I was before you know just playing yourself up on Zoom you know exaggerating your characteristics and already I'm a slightly exaggerated character and that's just me it's not I don't put it on I'm not not being me we can confirm this I'm just the trouble is I'm quite on and um, on Zoom I can be quite on and that can be sometimes I think um, quite uh, difficult, that's going to be to wind back into the real world. You go out into the real world, don't want to be um, uh, uh, a funny turn, as they would say in theatre. Yeah. You want to be someone with a bit of gravitas and a bit of weight, and not just human, human, human. So, so we've probably got about 20 viewers, 20 listeners, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And maybe 15 of them will know who Nigel is. Maybe five of them might. So for those five people that don't know who you are, brief history from your point of view and then we'll fill in the gaps a brief history <laughs> a brief history um, so in the beginning there was a word and the word was BT uh, where I started uh, back in the 20th century I believe unlike you two youths um, I started in the 20th century you did you? 20th century? yeah 1999 no I started in late in the year 2000 yeah I started on I was supposed to start on the day of the lunar eclipse and I couldn't <laughs> at my first day of work I couldn't get to work because all the trains were booked everyone was going down to the southwest to okay. see the lunar eclipse. Ah. So I literally had to ring our boss, who we know, we'll call him Dennis, because that was his yeah. name. <laughs> um, we had to go out to speak to Dennis and say, I cannot come to work on my first day of work, purely because of the eclipse. And it all went downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> so I started as a software developer, as a software development manager, I guess, we were called in BT, and I ended up in the same department as these two, miscreants, in Fast Track, fast I was track. in um, 
in Exeter, I was in the yeah. X office yeah. with Paul originally. Yeah. Paul, who was hired as a Java guru, which I don't know if you've been told that. Wow, well, yeah. Um, and then I moved to Bristol because I lived in Bristol, and commuting from Bristol to Exeter every day would seem to any normal human being to be unwise. You didn't, so, you didn't do it every day, though, did you? At the start, I did. Did you? So, for the first year or two years, every day, I was going up oh, and down to Exeter. That's a fair um, old train, On trains and planes. And in fact, when I started working at British Telecom, I used to have to get a bus, a train, a bus, and a bus really? to get to work. Yeah. Which was, which, but it's your first job. Yeah. yeah. So, it was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. this is how work is. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, but it was a bit of a pain. Um, so, moving to Bristol was lovely. And we, of course, all through stories that you've probably heard many times over the years, uh, ended up, well, Jeff and I ended up on the same project. Yeah. Because uh, it was not going so well. And Jeff famously, through a friend of our colleague of ours, John McNeil, introduced uh, the idea of Scrum into our team. Of which I seem to remember not thinking that highly of it at the start, thinking, <laughs> oh, it's all about this shit. Um, but I did get to go on a Prince 2 course that you were going to take because yeah. you were going to America instead to do Scrum. Yeah. So so you, oh, you did, you did the course that he wasn't doing? Yeah, I got the course that he dropped out ah, of when I got his I didn't, space. I didn't realise that. seconds ever since. Mm. <laughs> yeah, every, every day. Always. Thirds. Yeah. Thirds, I think, yeah, of mine. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up on a team together. I was one of the developers. <laughs> so I, unlike many Agile coaches and many Scrum trainers, have actually been the software developer on a Scrum team, which I had to point out occasionally, which is very good, by the way. I'd recommend it to anyone. That Scrum thing hopefully will take off one day. Um, and then from there, what did we do after that? I remember you, Jeff, became some sort of... Uh, you were hired by Sean then. I by Sean became sort of coach. Yeah. I bummed around on a variety of things after that Scrum project. And then you famously, I was heading to the cinema and I got a text saying, um, I can't remember the film I was going to watch, it wasn't very good, uh, but uh, it was Batman, no, maybe a Batman film, um, or something like that. But I got a text saying, hey, there may be some agile coaching roles going, are you interested? And I think I said something like, yes please. And that was from him? Yeah, it from Jeff, and I said, but I hope there isn't too much travel. <laughs> and, uh, you were so wrong. I was so wrong. You were so I didn't wrong. like travelling, turned out, but uh, I got into it after travelling every day Sheffield. for 15 years, yeah. <laughs> All over the place. You got to know Sheffield very well. I went to know. Sheffield, I went to Belfast, I yeah. uh, went to Glasgow, Edinburgh, somewhere up there. Um, all over the place with BT, yeah. um, San Fran- LA with BT as well, yeah, did, yeah. El Segundo, that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and a thousand other political shenanigans, like being a British Telecom, I can describe it as a slightly watered-down Game of Thrones, <laughs> which is people don't die, they just get moved jobs, but there's a lot of Kremlinness to it, you know, yeah. lots of Byzantine back in the days, which bred you great skills for uh, managing the complex Machiavellian world of change agency, but also could be very depressing at times. Yeah. And after a few years, um, I think I left. Um, I think I left. Um, I got some work off you, Jeff. Thank you so much. And I've been never looking back since. That was about 2008, I left, 2007. Yeah. So you set up Agile Bear in in that 2006 beforehand, actually. But yeah, went off and did all my own thing since then. I've been all over the, all around the world, all over the place, doing Scrum and Agile with people. What about the highlights since Agile Bear? In Agile Bear, well, Mm. highlights have been things like well, location-wise, like being flown into Monaco on helicopter. Oh, nice. That was kind of cool. I always mention that one. Um, but there was lots of Swindon. <laughs> lots of, no, no offence, Swindon, but come on. Uh, like, you know, lots of um, M4 corridor. Yeah. But I quite liked um, 
Well, some of the companies I've worked with have been kind of cool, like games companies. Yeah. You always aspire to that as a kid. Yeah. Like actual, like working with companies that produce stuff for consoles, you yeah. know, like software, SDKs, that's great. Yeah. That's really exciting. And um, just generally, I think, in terms of the journey, has been just seeing so much different, so many different things, I think. I quite, I'm a bit ADHD in that short attention span. And so, all squirrels, you know. So, um, seeing all the different companies, all their different experiences, all their different products, their different life cycles, that's been very, very interesting for me over the years. I've really enjoyed that, really enjoyed that. Have you, have you learned anything about you, yourself, during that time, you say? I would say so. I've learned that, um, well, just to quote, my, quote off my phone, I seem to remember that the other day I was called an immense stage talent <laughs> and, and someone else said something but I wrote was someone else said something I wrote was a masterpiece now it may have been me who said that but <laughs> the point is nevertheless that um, what I've discovered about myself over the years is you said before about the hero and villain mm-hmm. stuff what I've discovered is I love the power of narrative and storytelling in work mm-hmm. as a software developer it's all ones and zeros yeah. and logic and correctness and maths that's always been my life up to that point and I actually discovered a huge love for ambiguity storytelling grey spaces awkwardness silence unbelievably when I'm so talky uh, or love for all these other sort of nuanced aspects in the world of work and bringing that and logic together I found quite quite enlightening do you miss the development side of things do you wish you- yes but I miss the creative side of it right. so it's not so much cutting code it's creating code to create something, yeah. something real, something of that, something tangible, like a class person making this table, yeah. or someone you know making a model. I think it's so powerful, and I think a lot of people in the world of bureaucracy never get that pleasure. You'll never get that pleasure from a well-written process. Yeah, you know, no, you, know? you see, uh, one of our ex-bosses will call. Um, Rich, 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 Rich. We'll call him Rich. Um, he One called, of your ex-bosses, was he ever mine? Uh, probably. Probably. He, um, he has on his profile, he enjoys process. There were two things in, the, in his life that he really enjoys. One of them is this and one of them is process. I can't remember what the other thing was, but process is one of the things Masochism, he enjoys. probably. No, it does. Um, but uh, people who really like order. Yeah. But process, that's what I try to explain to Process isn't order. Process is the idea of writing down and explaining an ordered system. Doesn't mean you get it. Like I've got in my office a copy of the IKEA instructions for my bookcases, right? So I've got like 15 bookcases in there now. And I, I use it a lot in training and stuff. I say, look, this is a process, right? Like it has no weight beyond the weight you give it. Like you could not follow this, you know, it's just a piece of paper, it's not gonna pick you up and bully you or tell you off or fire you. It literally has no weight beyond the weight that you give it. And I think the mistake with process is people thinking having a good process means they'll have an ordered system. Yeah. When in fact what they need to do is have motivated people who invest and understand that process and understand the value it gives. Okay. And still, if the, like me, I like producing a good slide deck. I love doing presentations at conferences. I love coming up with a deck, you know, of pictures and fun and graphics yeah. and imagery. I enjoy that. I enjoy the art, the creative art of it, um, which is really good. But I'm always sad because it dies. Like I was thinking earlier on, what to discuss about this. And I feel that I have become the master of the, um, of the um, temporary media. 
Okay. So people tell Nigel Brilliant, you did this great conference speech, but eight people, twenty people heard it, you know? Or you wrote this really great post on like our, our internal Scrum Alliance blog or something. Really great post that fifteen people read. You know? Yeah. It's almost like I am the um, like I love comedians who a lot of people don't find funny, right? But I find them funny and they often get called a comedian's comedian. Right, so they're like they're who comedians like. They're quite overly clever in their comedy, but like the normal general punk just go, eh? yeah, yeah. Eh? It was like, like Norm Macdonald who passed away recently. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourites, Stuart Lee. Richard, uh, Stuart Lee. Yeah. Stuart Lee. I really, really like. Yeah. Um, I often feel sometimes I'm like that in the agile space. I like the scrum trainer, scrum trainer. So I'm like, yeah. oh, Nigel's got some good content on that, yeah. but I've not written the book. I've not, you know, done the big thing. I've not made the big name in terms of that. And do I regret that? No, I don't think so. But I think I've very much been in the temporary media space or the uh, performance art space yeah. more than in the physical media, like you with your books. They're sort of, they are ripples that will last forever, or at least until someone uses it for like firewood or something well, yeah. in the post-apocalyptic world oh, yeah. as they're trying to hunt down mutant rats. I hear what um, you're saying there, I, and, and, and this is where I think we'll fill the gaps because I think you're, not, you're doing yourself a disservice there because every time I... I don't run classes very often, but every time I come across a group of people, at least one of them will come up and say, oh, Nigel Baker, I love Nigel, I love Nigel. Right. Whatever you've done with them sticks with them. Whatever it is, it's the presentation, it's you the do. whatever it is. Yeah. They love you. Yes. And so, yes, it, the, the presentation might be temporary, it's going to disappear, but actually the, but, the impression is yeah. good. And, that, and you, you do have a fairly loyal following. Now, I don't just mean in terms of people that listen but clients that pay for your services I like to call them the cult no, no I don't I've never done that before in my life you know, you're right in terms of like so in terms of what we do I think that's very powerful like reaching out and helping people help themselves and having an effect I think I do think that's powerful I just think in terms of um, I think sometimes I don't know what I think but sometimes there is a there is a focus in the agile space at the moment I feel on content yeah. and on like physicality yeah. like for instance so it's about nuance grey space organic narrative right yeah. we were we love talking about scaling for instance yeah. in the world of scaling that's always been how scaling works you understand it's individualistic it requires experimentation it requires embracing humanity experimentation parallel all this grey and ambiguous space yet what's incredibly attractive out there is physical products here is a physical yeah, product to buy, yeah. to sell, right? And um, I feel that maybe in the movement of agility, people like me maybe are on a hiding to nothing against products like that yeah. in the future. And that's sad. That's sad. I think I think there needs to be a bit of a groundswell to support to support me. <laughs> no, support more things like you know nuance, ambiguity, delicacy, thoughtfulness, trying, thinking, those aspects. So as I was saying, we're back now with fresh batteries and better mics again and better microphones. Um, but yeah, so who else do you think has been underappreciated? A few people who've been underappreciated in the last. 10, 15, 20 years of Agile? That's a hard question. That's a really hard question, actually, because sometimes, again, it shouldn't be about people, it's about ideas. Yeah. So there are some ideas that I think have been underappreciated. Ideas come people. from people, though? Yeah, but people judge the art, not the artist, sometimes, is what I would do. Because I think, especially in the Scrum community, we'll be very careful, because some of our artists have not been the most 
highest paragons of virtue, as you would say, in Correct. the world. Yeah, true. But some of the art that's been produced on them has been great work, genuinely great work. And so I would say, in a, in a desperate attempt to separate art from artist, I would say um, Alistair Coburn's stuff in Crystal, I still think... I, I think eventually Scrum will evolve into Crystal by mistake. Okay. Um, but we're heading that way, very thin, very light. Um, so that actual Crystal work, or that idea he had originally of Crystal, of different styles for different scales. So he had the idea of Crystal clear for small, all the other like Crystal, I don't know, um, uh, what was the colour? Um, one of the highest colours, um, Scarlet, or Crystal Crimson, or whatever it was, for like massive projects. But never did any work in that space, it's just an end. So literally, I asked them, he had no work on it, it was just an idea. Yeah. But that idea of sort of layered, that idea of nuance of different styles. Contextual. Contextual, but without being chaos. You know, understanding yeah. good patterns that work, good ideas that apply and taken up forward. That work. Um, I also think, uh, in terms of the agile space, um, the pattern stuff, the scrum pattern stuff, yeah. scrum plot. Which again, should have had a better name. Should have had a better name. Some of the people involved, again, I'm took not offence at that. I, they took offence at me just saying it shouldn't be called Plop, yeah. which says everything about them. Yeah. Um, but having said all that, separate the art from the artist, <laughs> the actual work that was originally done in that space, not so much turning scrum into patterns, because that's very self referential. A product backlog is not a pattern in itself. There's patterns deeper than product backlog, like work queue. But that original pattern work that fed into scrum and still exists, that's very powerful and it's not talked about enough. But there are some patterns out there that are pretty strong or pretty applicable in certain settings that people don't have in their repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. I find it difficult to separate the art from the artist because I, I wouldn't recommend people read stuff that I knew was written by someone that I didn't consider to be a particularly good human being, even if I think the work is good. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on, so I, if I, <laughs> um, this may be a blooper, if I didn't recommend books or people I didn't rate as people, I wouldn't be recommending many books. Um, because, <laughs> but, um, not going to name names. Not going to name names, but I think, um, not going to name names. Visual joke there for the video watchers. No, joke aside. But, um, but there is good stuff in there. Again, you've got to not take it all like swallow it whole you've got to read it with a pragmatic eye see I, I think people would judge me as recommending the person yeah. rather than the material yeah so that's why sometimes I put a caveat on the person I'm like this particular piece of work is good well people change people evolve yeah, people yeah, yeah. learn like in art it happens in art all the time yeah. where an artist evolves so maybe the artist is a bad person or not you know famously Gil from Gil Sands like one of the most awful human beings it turns out we shouldn't be using the Gil Sands font you know but um, if you don't look into that by the way it's awful really it's awful. I'm not even you've got an incredible us. knowledge of uh, fonts, it's not, the point, not the point <laughs> not the point the point is is that um but artists go on journeys. So you can like someone's art, really like it, and then they evolve and grow into a style you don't like anymore. Or they can have an art style you hate, and then they evolve a style you like. And that's okay, you don't have to love the artist their entire life, because their work changes and evolves. And again, not enough is spent talking around that time aspect of what we do. Changing, evolving, expanding, learning. 
both the people sharing ideas, the ideas themselves, the frameworks, the methods, the processes, the products. And that's my big thing at the moment, is in, you're changing the act, the in-between stage, the act of change, the emotion of change, time changes all things, time heals all wounds. Um, so in terms of work, through that lens, I'm fine saying, okay, that thing over there is really cool, ignore that thing, it's a load of rubbish. You know, don't read his posts on this because he's a crazy guy, but his posts on that are really good, you know, because I can separate the art from the artist in that, unless they're things like politicians. And when you're into the world of politics, then they are literally selling themselves as part of their work, and then I expect a far higher standard. But I can't really expect, like, you know, uh, it's hard. And so, what I would say... So who has, who has get, uh, had a, effectively an overall positive impression on you? Uh, we usually ask who's inspired the people that we're talking to. So over the last 20 years that you've been working, who has inspired you from the world of Agile? From the world of Agile? Well, well, in your journey. Oh, without Inspired me, inspired me. Always, definitely. Definitely inspired me, you two have. Definitely, annoyingly, but you have. Um, I would say people who inspired me. I get inspired by people who grind it out on the day to day, right? The people hard who hard work. Hard, they put, they go into the, the trenches and they work it, right? They're not like visiting in and out like us, like a glad fly or yeah. like a coach on a gig where they yeah. come in for a few months and do a few stand ups. They're in there for a long time grinding. Yeah. So people like our friend Ashley, yeah. you know, there's people I work with other companies in similar, but I don't want to name one here, I mean, I want to be named, but in other companies doing similar things, yeah. that I have a lot of. Why wouldn't they want to be named? It's all positive. Well, I've just said they're grinding out in their companies. So they're not too sure. <laughs> but um, they're, they're authentic. They're, 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 they're doing it. They're, they're, they're living and breathing it. Living and dreaming they're turning it on the ground. Up every day. Yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think that's very positive. In terms of um, content, Again, I've been I get quite inspired by some of the Kinevin stuff, by um, Snowden's work and that complexity science work. It is hardly academic. It is there's a lot of backbiting in that space as well, lots of snide comments between them each other. I think the agile community is bad. Yeah, really, Look at the complexity yeah. community. But within all that, there is some interesting things on narratives and journeys and which I find quite interesting coming from a very corporate background. Um, in terms of outside of uh, Scrum, so I get inspired by the outside our space, not inside our space. Yeah, through, through me fact, too. Right? Yeah. Um, like for me, I was inspired always by George Lucas, and so I was always someone who took something, an idea, and turned it into something huge, mm-hmm. and then evolved it over decades in terms of nurturing it over decades. Yeah. And of course, selling it to Disney's not great, but you know. But up to that point, did a lot, build a community of creatives, build a creative environment, build. Uh, tools and technologies that creative people can use in other industries, so giving back as well as taking and building stories that have driven kids for 40 years, that's like yeah. it's a bit, I love that. Yeah. Um, I was also inspired by someone who died recently, Norm Macdonald, I mentioned earlier on, the American comedian. Yeah. Um, I get inspired by him because people like him are everything I'm not that I would love to be. So. Like I, I've said before, my personal weakness, I feel, is sometimes I'm a bit of a people pleaser. Yeah. So I can be very harsh online, because these are just words, like, but in real life, I, I'm a people pleaser. I don't like making people unhappy. I want people to be happy, I want people to like me, yeah. I want to make people laugh and have a good time. And that can be the detriment. And so I always enjoy, particularly, like, people like stand-up comics who 
don't play that game. Like Norm Macdonald famously did an American roast about 10, 15 years ago. You know these roasts yeah, yeah. where they get a comedian and they just brutalise them. All the worst language, the worst content, disgusting things, horrible personal things as a joke yeah. to this person. Yeah. Anyway. So Norm stood up on one of these things and uh, told 1950s jokes from a retirement book. Like, hey, you've got a face like a flower. A cauliflower, you know, like, uh, and things like this. Is a, um, um, uh, I, I took my friend to see a baseball game. Uh, he brought a gun with him. I said, why did you bring the gun? He said, well, I thought we were watching the Tigers and the Bears. That's just terrible. And the entire audience did not. The entire audience was dead. Didn't get it at all. No good at all. But a few of the stand-ups on the side of the stage were just dying laughing because yeah. they knew what he was doing which was deliberately bombing yeah. bombing deliberately it's like ruined himself and ruined the thing just as a joke for the, a few comedians on the side yeah. and I love that type of thing and I often think sometimes when I feel a, if I can get like no one laughing on a joke but one person gets a joke sometimes that makes me super happy because I feel that sense of like oh no I'm ruining it for everyone but someone gets it <laughs> and that's like a really odd thing but I like that sort of that sort of um someone who can stand so much on their own thing that they're willing to take the non-acceptance of the others which is something I could never do in life yeah like if I did that if I stood on stage and made a joke and no one laughed I'll die inside I'd be really? like, oh. no probably not but I hope <laughs> I love it actually but I love it a little bit but I love that type of character like Marlon Brando someone or Orson Welles great creative genius always self-destructive yeah. and I find a great um, inspiration and pleasure in people who have talent and somehow just it bleeds out in all the wrong ways sometimes is that because he was a, an alcoholic and a depressive or is that the cause rather than the effect Orson Welles yeah. I think he was an alcoholic or depressive no, no he was very overweight loved his food okay. like me yum 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 but I think he was just the type of person who had a short attention span to talk big stories but couldn't really apply himself. I'm not saying that's me, but, um, but, uh, but I like those types of people. And again, I think I enjoy, I'm inspired by that because I think it's the act of um, unfocused genius and creativity, uh, uniqueness, I think I get joy from it. In, in people to get inspired by. Okay. So I think it's quite interesting for me. But it's interesting because how do they inspire me? Like, I don't want to be Orson Welles, like a fat failure living in Vienna. No offence, Orson. Um, <laughs> but Orson was great. Remember, he peaked his career at the end when he played Unicron in Transformers the movie in his final part. So it's kind of, of like... Yeah, of course. course. You knew that, Jeff, didn't you? But the, the point <laughs> is, is that I think what inspires me about those people is not the failure, it's the the times when they were creatively great, the times when they took that that weirdness and focused it into something beautiful for a short time. Do you Much think, like the Spice Girls who are playing right now. Yeah. Very similar, would you do say, you not think, to Orson Welles? Here's a essentially leading question, but do you think a lot of your work is underappreciated then, in that respect? <laughs> yes, I definitely think my work's underappreciated. Um, but I also think I don't do enough to make it appreciated. Like, I've not written the book. I wrote a book and never published it. I've not put that application in to get it to that point and I don't have the ego I have a, a big enough ego to think it's good mm. but not a big enough ego to think it's the best and it should be out there mm. and so that's why I think I'm always not always always a strong term but I'm very much a scrum trainer scrum trainer you know so a few people go oh that's good yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. good start I saw they can really see, good start. see, see yeah, way yeah. through it and they see it 
Um, because I'm trying to write a blog on this, so I've been writing blog posts trying to get some of this stuff out. So I said, I won't write a book, because that's a big commitment. What I'll do is I'll just write a blog post, and then I'll write another one, then I'll write another one, and see where it goes. Right? Okay. And, um, but again, you don't know how they're received. No, or it's very, you get no hard, feedback. Yeah. I, it's, feedback. Mind you, my blog posts are probably. Um, Okay, this may be a blooper for you. Unabomber territory, like like twelve and a half thousand words, which is not a blog post. That's like a rant. It's a manifesto. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a manifesto. Yeah. And I'm again from the inside my head. I'm thinking, oh, it's all flowing out wonderfully. This is great, you know. But to the outside world, but you obviously find it easy to you get your thoughts down. How long does it take you to write those those kind of that that that's that's a length? Of, pages, that's three days. Days, but you find it easy, the words flow when you're. When oh, words flow, but whether the words are coherent, articulate, yeah. and make a rounded sense, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what an editor does. Yeah. So here's a tough question then, it's just come to my mind, because it's Christmas. Yeah. We're all wearing our Christmas jumpers. For those of you that can't see, we're all wearing we our dreadful Christmas jumpers. Um, if you could give the Agile community a Christmas present, yeah. what would it be? I would. I know what I want to say, but I can't say it on that. So we can, can say it, we can edit it out. We can edit it out. Well, I would like there to be a new creative innovative hub in the Scrum Alliance. I think there's, 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 there are some um, there are some huge missing gaps in the Agile world being filled by very bad things, and everyone, even the, know they're bad, but there's nothing else. And there's all is needed is for a few good people to put something out there in that space and the world will pivot and change. So and the space? only organisation can do that is the Scrum Alliance. And so I would just like that innovation to come out of there because only you community can foster it really. Because the Agile Alliance doesn't want to foster that. Agile Alliance doesn't want to foster product or creative or content or courses. So, and the other communities are all... Um, uh, um, Commercial, enterprise. commercial enterprise is driven by individuals yeah. with a strong commercial interest in one story, which is all the stories. So the Alliance is the only place that innovation and creativity can come from and building on others. And I would like to see that on a few different subjects. But I don't know if I want to reveal on here. Well, I can do. No, that's fine. You like, don't have to. But it's like, I think there's a few spots that no one's really noticed, but they're out there. And the Alliance just did some stuff on that. It, was, it could really change the world, really genuinely transform the world of work. And that's the microsoft I don't I just want the agile community in general, but specifically the alliance, to have the ability to innovate and create products. Right? Because they don't have them. And that's what I would like to have. What product comes out? Yeah well that's an open question, though I've got an idea what they'd like to do. But having that ability to do that I think is absolutely fundamental. And what Christmas can... present would you like to give yourself? Myself? For Christmas? Gosh, the man who's got everything, a present for me? Gosh, it doesn't have hard. to be a physical thing. Mr. Frosty? Never, I never got a Mr. Frosty. Do you know what? I never, got Mr. I never got a Mr. Frosty. I bought a Mr. Frosty for my kids. It's rubbish. 
What do you mean it's rubbish? The, the, the content that comes out is like a rubbish slush puppy thing. It's just not very nice at all. So for our um, international listeners, um, explain to us briefly, Nice, what is a, a Mr. Frosty? And maybe for Jeff, because Jeff probably no, missed out. It's a big, a big plastic snowman which grinds up ice that you put flavouring in so you get like a slush puppy ice cream. Always wanted it. It's one of those Christmas presents I always circled in the Argos catalogue. Never got it. Well, I bought it for the kids. Very unpopular. Really? Didn't work very well. Skeletrics? Did you have a Skeletrics? Never had a Skeletrics. Me neither. No. Never got that. Though I, I, I follow on, so if anyone follows me on Twitter, they'll realise a lot of my adults I don't post much anymore on there because no one really reads Twitter anymore. But I do follow a few retro Twitter um, okay. uh, things and they're great fun. One one of them, so obscure, it posts old pages out of catalogues. Oh, yeah. So old catalogue yeah. pages like from the 1980s and 70s. And oh, it's such a rush because you recognise some of this stuff. Yeah. Especially with the toys like... I we realized. spent hours going through the catalogue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so there's like one page of board games, and I have played ten games on that on that page. I own one of them, but I played ten because as a group of friends, we always to make sure we got yeah, different, different games, yeah. so then we could like Share pool up, yeah. as it's pool our gaming dollar basically. Yeah. So I had Mike Reed's Pop Quiz, oh, yeah. which was not a great game for no, the way. No. Um, but there's like crossbows and catapults on there, oh. and, and all those things. Um, what I would love for Christmas is that feeling of anticipation and joy I had as a child for it. Because my kids adore Christmas. Yeah. My house is Christmas intense. They absolutely adore it. still believe in Santa Claus. They absolutely adore it. Um, I love they have that feeling. Yeah. I, I want to feed it. I would love that, that feeling as well. That would be great. Was it a time off? Time, you take time off for Christmas? Always yourself? take two weeks. Always two, take weeks. two weeks off. Yeah, always. always. I love, I love Christmas. I love yeah. the experience. I love the, the feeling, the ethos behind it. You know, the actual sense of like um, joy to the world. You know, yeah. bring mankind together at this moment. Forget the sins, forget the past, forget the future, and just have that moment together. Yeah, which yeah. I think is a beautiful thing. That's a nice way to end it. Yeah. Let's all come together, everybody. Cheers. Merry Christmas, nice. Great to see you. Great to see. Merry Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. And Happy New Year.